0: And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the lowly state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me the blessed one. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud. He's brought down rulers. But for the humble, he has lifted them up. Father, we thank you. All of us today can be lifted up by the mighty arm of God, the same arm that creates galaxies and parts seas is an arm that's ready to wrap around us and cradle us in your hand, lift us up from our despair to hope, from our sin to forgiveness, and one day, Lord, from earth to heaven. Thank you, God, for your all-consuming desire to see those who are lowly and have been humbled, even crushed, And you lift them up. You think about lifting people up. You delight in lifting people up. And I cry out, Lord, for those today who are cast down, laying down, can't get up, don't know how to get out of their addiction, don't know how to get out of their depression, lift them up. Through the music, you are doing that. Through the taught word, we ask you will do that. Through the fellowship of the church, you, Holy Spirit, please do that. Just lift us up so that we can see the face of God, feel the breath of God, and be strengthened with the hope of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I am not a normal reader of Time Magazine, uh, but I was getting Mom's mail yesterday and couldn't help but notice the selection of Time's person of the year. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm wearing red for Christmas at 845, as again, a, for a not so subtle reminder that if any of you would like to be courageous enough next week to try the 845 service out, it might be a kindness might be a kindness to the 10-30 the crowd of uh, typical normal Christmas guests. So please try 845, maybe get 20 or 25 of you and free up some more seats. So I was um, looking at, at this 16-year-old girl, Greta um, Thunberg, from Switzerland, and was voted Times Person of the Year. Uh, they've done this for 93 years. They've never had a teenager. They've never had anybody... Um, less than age 27, which was Charles Lindbergh, but they honored her because of her fight in the past year for climate change. In June of 2018, she was sitting in front of her, her school in Sweden protesting, not going to class, and within a year, millions of teenagers around the world have joined her campaign to be heard by politicians in every nation of the world to do something in the name of climate change, which causes me, when I look at her, to find the story of Mary all the more interesting, because I really wonder, in 50 years, will, you, will anybody know the name of Greta Thunberg? I doubt it. And here we are, almost 2,100 years away from a girl named Mary, 6,300 miles from where she lived. And I mentioned Mary of Nazareth. And everybody in this place and around the world knows who I'm talking about. You know her story. An angel in Luke chapter 1 comes and visits her. And Mary wasn't protesting anything. She was just doing chores in her house. And an angel comes to her and says, in the purest possible way, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow your body and in the process place the substance of God in your womb and you'll be pregnant with the Son of God. The most staggering message that a a teenage girl, 16 at best, 15, maybe 14, could have received. She was so excited that soon after that announcement, she made a visit to a relative in her family, Elizabeth. And it's interesting, as Mary visited Elizabeth, The baby that was inside of Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy, and the two women celebrated the soon-coming birth of the Son of God. Mary is not only the first person in life to personally place her faith in Christ, she's the first witness of Christ. Traveling to Elizabeth, she's the first person to say as a human, I know who is inside me, and it's Jesus Christ. And in the process, Mary and Elizabeth, rejoicing together, burst into a song that we now call the Magnificat because of how it it begins. My soul magnifies the Lord. You know what I love most about this church? You don't just want, want to sing. You demand to sing. And this is the beauty of the Magnificat. Silence was impossible at this point, and speech was a relief that they were able to declare what was going on inside Mary's womb. So what I love to hear you sing as you are demanding to be able to praise the Lord. The Magnificat is an interesting group of ten verses because it really is just a collection of Old Testament uh, sayings. Mary, again, maybe 16 years old, but could have easily been as young as 14 or 15. Her mind is so saturated with the Word of God that when she receives news that God had chosen her to be the mother of the Son of God, all she can do is quote Scripture. She quotes from all over the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Micah, And Zephaniah. You know, when you look at the life of Mary, I I sort of really categorize three things happening in her life. Her body was consecrated to God's character. Her will was surrendered to God's purposes. And her mind was saturated with God's truth. None of us ever deserve to be used by God. But when he chose a woman to give birth to his son, these qualities were important to him, especially the one that we'll look at today. The saturation of her mind with all of the promises of the Old Testament. Let's look at her first shout of joy. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. So what is the basis of Mary's joy? She says it, Because, I'm rejoicing because, I'm rejoicing for God has remembered me in my humble state now when she calls herself humble this is not this is not a self-congratulations of a woman that i heard in my prayer meeting and we used to take prayer requests in my first church and asked thelma thelma said what would you like to praise god for this past year she says i'd like to praise god for my growth in humility (laughs) It's, it's not what mary's saying she's saying life has humbled me Socially, I'm in a low place. Politically, I'm in a low place. Personally, I'm in a low, unnoticed place. She was far more oppressed than affluent. Her only claim to fame was that she had no fame. I am in a lowly state. This verse actually comes as she's looking back at old testament promises. This one actually comes from the old testament, book of 1st Samuel. Hannah, wife of Elkanah, could not have a child. She cried out to God, "Please notice me in my pain." The Lord opened her womb and Hannah gave this the Bible gives this praise on behalf of Hannah. The Lord remembered her for Samuel 19. So this is what Mary is quoting. She's quoting the Old Testament and applying it to her situation that God has remembered me. This is the central truth of Scripture. God loves people in lowly states of life. He remembers them. He's attracted to them because of their lowly state of life. Surely today in this house of worship there's somebody who feels, would say, I feel forgotten. I do not feel remembered. Learn from Mary. God specializes in going to those who feel like they are a nobody and redeems them and declares them, You are a somebody. This is what He did in Mary's life. She has hope for every wandering orphan, every tired mother, every stressed out student, every undervalued worker every dying patient every lonely widow god is especially attracted to those who are in a low position of life if you would have gone on a search to find if you were assigned the task of finding the mother of the son of god do you think you would have gone to nazareth and do you think you would have gone and found mary no no you would have gone to Jerusalem. You would have gone to Alexandria Egypt. You would have gone to Rome, Italy. But you would have not have gone to Nazareth, which is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It says small. And you certainly would have not gone to Mary. And that's precisely who God went to. Because the teaching of the entire Bible is this. When God gets ready to do a great thing, He chooses those without anything and passes over those who boast of everything but as mary remarks in verse 47 god didn't just notice her and he didn't just use her he saved her look how she refers to god my spirit rejoices in god two titles here in god title one my savior title two i love that she refers to the lord with two titles God, that's a way of describing him, he's king, ruler, creator. I rejoice in God as king, as ruler, as creator, but I rejoice that this creator is also a savior who rebuilds his broken creation. The good news of the the gospel is not that just that God is a king who loves loyal subjects. The good news of the gospel is that God is a king who dies for disloyal subjects. He's a king who is a savior. Not only did Mary have the privilege of giving birth to the savior, but she had the privilege of being the first Christian. She had the privilege of being the first one to say, You, child of Bethlehem, are my Savior. It's interesting. Mary's posture in Scripture is always the same. She understands her role, she understands his role. I am your mother. You are my Savior. Sort of like the song Born in Me. I love those lines. Mary said, I hold you in the beginning, but Jesus, you will hold me in the end. So why did Mary refer to Jesus as her Savior? Because she needed to be saved. It never entered her mind that she had any salvific powers. She never thought she could save anyone. There's a, a shrine outside of Zurich, Switzerland, about 20 miles outside of of Zurich, Switzerland. It's called the Shrine of Our Lady of Enzeldine, And there's a inside this shrine is a, a black Madonna statue um, about four feet high. Two hundred thousand people go there every year looking for a blessing for a four foot tall, from a four foot tall statue of Mary. And Mary, everything within her, says, don't look to me. I can't save anyone. I needed to be saved. I can't rescue anyone. I needed to be rescued. He is my Savior. Imagine this scenario. You are $100,000 in debt. And a guy with $20 billion comes to you and says, I want to pay off your debt. That's a good day. And after that happens, somebody, a friend of yours who has $10,000 worth of debt, comes to you and said, can you help me? Because I heard you have $100,000. Can you help me with my $10,000 debt? And you have to tell that friend, I still don't have any money. It's all his. He did the debt paying." That's what Mary says to the world. I don't have any saving power. It's His saving power that He gave to me so that I could be saved. I can only point you to Him. It's never right to worship Mary, but it's always right to follow Mary because if you follow her, you will always find her following Christ. Never worship, always follow, always look to her because she's always looking to Christ. So the news of this saving work in her life would spread and never stop spreading. She said in verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And again, she says this not because she's saying I have the power to bless people. It's not what she's saying. She's saying there is no womb in all of the world that is worthy of bearing the Son of God. I have an unworthy womb. Yet God has filled it with one. He's blessed me to be the carrier of this one who can bless the world by removing the condemnation and the curse of sin. And she says, because of that blessing, all generations will call me blessed. It's amazing when you look at Mary at this time in her life, the farthest place she's traveled is to the hill country of Judea. Lived in Nazareth and took a week-long journey to visit Elizabeth, her relative. Eventually, she would her church tradition says she would live in Ephesus with John, the disciple, assigned to take care of her after Christ left. But here in this verse, she travels to the end of history and to every continent, And even though we are 6,300 miles away from Nazareth and 2,019 years away from this night, we're still talking about her. Because she said, every generation will talk about me. Because God chose a low, lowly poor girl to deposit His son in her womb. And she finds this utterly amazing. What really amazes Mary is the, is the combination be- between God's transcendence and His nearness. Love how she, the two, again, two titles that she gives God in this one verse, Luke 149, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. So in one verse, she calls God Mighty One and Holy One. Mighty One, what's she thinking about? Creating galaxies, parting oceans, destroying armies. Mighty God. Holy One, what's she thinking about? She's thinking about a God who descended on Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And the holiness of God so pervaded every square inch of dirt on that mountain that if anybody touched it, man or beast, they would die immediately because of the holiness of God. She's thinking about that that altar in front of the tabernacle in the Old Testament that was frequently visited by people with blood on their hands. They could not approach God without the blood from a lamb. And now she's thinking, this mighty one, galaxy maker, army destroyer, Holy, so holy that he can't be approached. This mighty one and holy one has done great things for me. She's declaring that mighty God and holy God is a personal God. And I want to tell you today, if what we are doing every week in this church, if it's not about a personal God, it's nothing. Mighty God, Holy God is your personal God, your Father, your friend. Mary cannot get over that phrase. He has done great things for me, for you, for us. My preaching professor, Joel Gregory, used to say, Mary had not spent her life reciting dry dogma while meditating on an absentee god she worshiped a god who was personal in her life so after she makes this personal declaration she makes a global declaration of what god will do in all the world he has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts he has brought down rulers from their thrones, he has lifted up the humble, he has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. So you can see the the flow of our thought, he's a God who scatters, brings down, and sends away those who are proud. And it's interesting how she she talks about this. She talks about this in a future tense as if it's already happened. So she's all of a sudden she goes from mother to prophet because she's looking at the end of history and said, you can count on one thing, that all of those who are proud and raise their fist against God, he will bring them down. And she speaks as if it's already happened. It's not proud king's that received the announcement from the angels, but it was lowly, cast-down shepherds. God opposes the proud. He's against the proud, works against the proud, and gives help to the lowly. And He's done that throughout all of history. When you look at the rule of the Elamites and the Hittites and the Samarians, you would have said... They will never be removed from their land, and God scattered them. When you look at the bloodthirsty Assyrians who reigned terror under Sennacherib, you would have said they will never stop ruling as the Assyrian Empire, but God scattered them, and he's done that with all leaders and nations, the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, the Persians under Cyrus, the Greeks under Philip of Macedon and Alexander, whom we call the Great because of their pride and arrogance, God, all of these leaders and nations, has scattered. And he's done this throughout all of history. From Nero in Rome to Attila who led the Huns, Charlemagne leading the Franks, Mussolini in Italy, Wilhelm in Germany, Napoleon in France, Adolf Hitler who led the Nazis, Pol Pot who led the rouge the Ayatollah who led the people of Iran, Saddam Hussein in Iraq and Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. God scattered them all. Because He brings down the proud. And He'll continue doing that until Jesus Christ receives His rightful place on the throne of the universe with the humble being lifted up and recognizing Him as Lord. Lord. You know, what makes Mary's words so powerful is how this played out in the very characters that were involved in her story. You look at Caesar Augustus when Jesus was born. In A.D. 14, he died because his wife poisoned him. Herod the Great, the cruel tyrant who slaughtered the infants of Bethlehem in an attempt to slaughter the newborn Christ he died a horrible disease, Joseph said. Worms infested his intestines. Pontius Pilate, who gave the nod for the crucifixion of the Son of God in shame. He was exiled from Jerusalem in AD 36 and spent the rest of his life in silence in Europe. That's what happens to the proud and arrogant. God brings them down. But look what happens to those who admit I need and desire the help of God. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. To fear the Lord is to do nothing but to tremble at what could be judgment and what will not be judgment because of Christ coming into the world to be our Savior and to give us mercy. I told you about that shrine outside of uh, Switzerland where the little four foot statue of Mary is. So 200,000 people visit a year. But interestingly, the monks who live on the premises every day sing a song to Mary. It's called the Salve Regina, it means Hail to the Queen. Reference to Mary. Forgive me if the words are offensive. I thought about not putting them up, but I want you to know this stuff really exists. So these monks sing to Mary every day Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our sweetness and our hope. To thee do we cry. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. Pray that we may be made worthy of the promises. Christ of all the errors made by the popes in the dark ages this was the most heretical when they elevated Mary to a place called the queen of heaven that her purpose in history was to thwart the wrath of Jesus Christ so it would not fall on us But the story of Christmas and the story of Easter and the story of every page of the Bible, especially the New Testament, is the wrath of God was thwarted by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased your freedom. And therefore it's His mercy to give and no one else's mercy to give. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mary was a God-bearer in her physical body, but in her heart she was a gospel-bearer pointing people to His mercy and not to her mercy. And anyone who trembles at the wonderful thought of God's wrath being turned away because of Christ will be shown mercy. Anyone who trembles at the wonderful thought of God's wrath being turned away because of Christ will be given mercy. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Mary concludes her song by pointing to the age-old promises to the people of God. Luke 154, God has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And then she goes all the way back almost to the beginning. That's Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham and his descendants, forever even as he said to his fathers now when mary quotes when mary has come out of her mouth god you were a promise keeper all the way back to abraham his children grandchildren great-grandchildren you will keep your promise to them and she says this but the old testament passage she uses is really micah chapter 7 so i told you Her mind is so saturated with Scripture. She's thinking Micah 7 and that promise. Again, Micah, hundreds of years who lived after Abraham. Micah is still promising. God is still promising. You're going to be good to your people, O God. Micah 7.20, you'll be be faithful to Jacob, almost verbatim what Mary just prayed. You'll be faithful to Jacob and, and, and show love to Abraham, even as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. So when you're reading the book of Micah, you have to ask what happened to that promise? Because after the book of Micah, God's people were destroyed by Babylon, 70 years in exile. They returned to a destroyed city. Where are the promises of God? Well, Micah remembers to tell us about what's going to happen in Mary's womb. Micah 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So on that silent night, holy night in Bethlehem, God would keep his promise to Micah and to Mary and to us. And this is what Mary wants us to learn. All the way from Abraham to Micah to Mary to you today. God keeps his promises. And the reason that we know that God will keep his promises is because he has kept his promises. Read a book recently or part of it. The title of the book is What If? And it's written by several military historians who pictured the world what if certain events in history had gone the other way so they asked the question what if Alexander the Great in his worldwide conquering would not have died at age 33 what if he would have kept on conquering what if the Mongols had succeeded in taking over Europe what if Washington had given up at Valley Forge What if the Battle of Midway had been won by Japan? What if Grant had been defeated by Lee? And what if the Allied invasion on D-Day had failed? What would the world be like if those historical events had turned out to be any different? Now let me ask you another what if. What if the promise to Abraham and what if the promise to Micah did not find fulfillment that night when the angel visited Mary. What if Jesus Christ had never been born? What if? Well, let's think that out. We would not be looking at her poem today because there would not be a New Testament that would include that poem. There would not be a church here or anywhere that's founded on the New Testament. There would never be a missionary sent out from a church. No Christian hymn would have ever been written. The band would not come up to sing because no songs would have ever been written. Billy Graham would never preach one sermon. The Salvation Army would have never fed one hungry person. Michelangelo would not have painted the top of the Sistine Chapel. And no message of hope would ever have been preached at any funeral in all of history. Because the outcome of history, had that baby not been born, is that we would sit here in this room and wait to die. No justice, no reward, no comfort, no anything if it weren't for Jesus. If you didn't have the manger of Bethlehem, we would be like a ship that never finds a harbor. Cruising in eternity on an ocean of unkept promises. But all of the promises of God are yes in the coming of Christ. And that's why we love the song of Mary. Because she sings about a God who keeps his promises. How can you know that God will keep his promises to you in regard to his goodness? Because he has kept his promises in regard to his goodness. Apart from the coming of Christ, God never adequately would respond to the cries of the world. But through Christ, we can sing with Philip Brooks those beautiful words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Would you please pray this Christmas season, maybe for the first time in your life? That's why you're here this Christmas season, either for the first time or for a renewed time in your life. Would you pray with Mary, Almighty oh One, Holy One, be my Savior. Let's pray. Mighty One, Star Maker, Grand Canyon Digger, Oxygen Supplier, History Planner, we praise you for your might, I thank you for the breath that just came out of my lungs. I thank you for the work that we did this past week with bodies, minds that could function. I thank you right now, Lord, that words are coming off of my tongue, able to be heard by ears, processed by minds, and amazed by hearts, because you're mighty. We thank you, Holy One, We're so delighted that someone in life hates sin, would never participate in sin, will judge all sin, will do what is right in the great courtroom of history. We thank you, God. There is a lover of justice. There's a lover of purity. There's a lover of goodness who never loves anything but goodness. And yet, God, we thank you that you're merciful. (laughs) And you want to save us. So, mighty one, holy one, we thank you that you're also a merciful one for us. For men, for women, for teenagers, for children today in this place, in this city. You're a holy one and a mighty one that's a merciful one so now we open up our life to your mercy for this past week where we failed you we need mercy for our past 10 years where we failed you we need mercy for our marriages to teach us how to love and forgive we need your mercy our children who may be straying we pray for mercy almighty one Holy One, save me. Save us. We never needed you more. We've never been able to trust you more. Oh, promise keeper, thank you for coming and keeping your promises in that manger, in that child, for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.